Welcome to a special edition of the Rethinking Everything podcast from Toonheim. I'm Pat Milan, Toonheim's Chief Insights Officer. Joining me is Emmett Coleman, a 30-year political insider. You know, I didn't add to 30 since the last time we did it. We're just keeping it at 30. I stopped counting at that. Yeah. Uh, Emmett watches government on behalf of Toonheim corporate clients. Emily McGrath is with us, a senior consultant at Toonheim. You oversee counsel to clients. Here's what I caught. Energy, agriculture, health care. Do you ever go home? Uh, and you're a former member of the board of the Minnesota Women's Political Council, right? Correct. And Owen Truesdell, a senior consultant also in the public affairs offering. You spend a lot of time on the development sector. Yeah, land use, affordable housing. And your political past includes campaigns in Wisconsin, Massachusetts, right? And Minnesota. Yeah, there you go. Oh, yeah, no, that's right. I didn't put <laughs> Minnesota in there. Thanks for being here. So uh, here we are, first few hours after the election, our focus is pretty narrow here. Um, I really want to know what you're advising businesses, the philanthropic clients, nonprofit clients this morning. And while I would say the nation did not experience a blue wave, oh, and you had a line from I, Minnesota. I, I would say it's a blue splash. In Minnesota. That's, uh, that's actually pretty good. I like Thanks. that. Uh, Minnesota had its blue splash. Every constitutional office is going to be occupied by a Democrat. The Minnesota House has turned blue. The Minnesota Senate is Republican, but but the what? The slimmest possible margin. One vote. And I should say, we're talking at 9 o'clock Wednesday morning. Things could change, so be kind uh, <laughs> if we say something that turns out and things change. Uh, Wisconsin, just quickly. Uh, Scott Walker's out. Tony Evers, uh, or Evers. Is it Evers? Evers. Evers. Uh, Democrats leading the state. Looks like a Democrat's won the attorney general spot there as well. But the legislature remains in the GOP hands. Tammy Baldwin won. So with all of that swimming around, changing, Emmett, let me start with you. Uh, for years, you represented Comcast at the state level. What's the feedback and advice that you have for the business sector at the state level based on these results we have kind of this early in the process? What's different? Well, I, I, I don't think a lot is different today. Six states uh, switched that were traditionally or have been historically for the last couple of years Republican that switched to Democrat in this election. I think, though, the trend is going to continue, which is a lot of stuff is not getting done in Washington because of gridlock. Dems taking the House in D.C. won't necessarily help that. And so on a lot of issues, whether it's health care, it's immigration, it's climate change, you're seeing more and more states and local governments take up those issues. And so from a client perspective, I think uh, they have to be concerned about polarization continuing and, frankly, more and more of this patchwork quilt of, of different states and local governments trying to take on these issues that should really and historically have been federal issues. And so that polarization and confusion is something I think businesses have to take into account. And you, you're saying they have in the past, so things don't change. I think some businesses have, and I think some, you know, we're hoping that there would be a change, but I think it's just a trend that's going to keep increasing. Emily, uh, you do a lot of work in the nonprofit healthcare sector. Healthcare emerged number one, Minnesota and nationally, uh, among people who went to the polls. What's different today? And I'm wondering if there's a greater opportunity to steer healthcare policy in any one direction based on what happened. Well, in Minnesota, we'll um, still have a Democratic governor, and he's interested in continuing to um, get coverage for all people and um, perhaps even expanding Minnesota care. But um, no matter 
who had, no matter what the outcome was this session, there were a lot of new public officials elected. And so I see it as an opportunity to um, connect with your new uh, legislators and public officials at both the state and national level and um, reach out to them because this is a, a season at both the federal and um, state level where there will be some gridlock. So we're all going to have to reach out and um, work with one another in order to get anything done. So regardless if um, the person or the party that you um, hoped one, <laughs> actually one, we're still going to have to reach out to um, people on both sides of the aisle. And so it's always a good opportunity to um, make those introductory um, appointments um, and find ways to connect and work with people on both sides of the aisle. In this period leading up to taking office, you do it now? Is this the best time? I think it is. It's definitely a really good time. A lot of people will be doing the same thing. But um, the sooner you can um, reach out and connect with people, um, especially the new ones who are um, stepping into this role for the first time, it's a great time to reach out to them and, um, and get to know them. You know, the sooner the better, especially if you aren't coming with a request. You know, if you are, <laughs> you definitely want to do it so, you know, as soon as you can. But even if you just want to get to know them um, and uh, tell them about your organization, your company, so that um, they, they know who you are in good times and bad, both. Oh, and let me just ask you something really quickly. Minnesota and Wisconsin, mm -hmm. very similar states, like twins for decades, but they look like squabbling, not talking to each other twins for quite a while. Um, do the two states look a little more like each other today politically? And does the way you navigate state politics in the two states look more similar to you than it has? I think they look more similar from the makeup at the executive level. I mean, ha having two Democratic governors, that's really been the, the foil in the last eight years is Scott Walker versus Mark Dayton. And you saw pretty divergent paths that were taken because of that executive leadership. Having Tony Evers there um, will provide a little bit more momentum and a little bit more coherence. You will also have a Democratic governor in Michigan. So I think that you're going to start to see some of this upper Midwest um, policy things moving in the same direction. That said, in Wisconsin, you still have to deal with a much, much more conservative state legislature than you'll have here. Um, I think that's one of the interesting things about Minnesota is it's the only state legislature in the country that is split across party lines. Every other state has uniparty control of the state legislature. That just blows my mind. First time since true. 1914 that there's only one state that's split. Very, very, very interesting, and really talks about Minnesota being a purple state. I mean, we, we see ourselves as reliably uh, democratic, um, and we are clearly at the state level, but uh, as you get down into those those congressional races and um, in the state legislature, it can really flip. So I think there, to, to Emily's point about health care, uh, the, the DFL here in Minnesota is going to need to be relatively cautious. They're going to have some new voices really pushing them to you know, jump on the Medicare for all, expand Minnesota care, that national kind of progressive trend, but they're going to be up again in two years. And um, that's, the state almost went for Donald Trump. And the, I think they're going to want to walk before they run. You guys, all three of you sitting here represent a really wide, diverse set of client bases across different business 
and nonprofit sectors. I'd love to hear from each of you who's most disturbed about the way things worked out in Minnesota this morning and why. That's a good question. Who's least happy? I think Kurt Doubt's pretty unhappy. Um, he, uh, but but from from a business standpoint, um, I don't know. I would say that the energy sector is going to be a really interesting one, um, where there will be some. You've got Tim Walls, who's a Greater Minnesota Democrat, who I think will want to do something progressive on that front, but not be getting into a huge fight. Um, so I think that's one area. Who's the fight with? Well, it, it depends on which side. I mean, the, the XL Energies of the world, um, I think, will have uh, an interesting. I'm sure they are they are working very hard this morning and have been for for months. I think part of the issue for all of this, and particularly, I think for businesses, you're going to have this kind of continued polarization. I don't think it'll be as as aggressive in Minnesota as it has been or will be in other states. But what I think you see in this election is this. From the purple perspective, it's this continued kind of greater Minnesota versus the suburbs and the metro area. And I think that's supposed to be one of the areas that Governor-elect Walls will try to bring us together. And so from a business perspective, they're still going to have that dichotomy that they have to address. I think organizations that are working on whether it's affordable housing, workforce reform, transit, child care, They've got to be able to bridge that. So I don't know that I'd say anybody's particularly, you know, got gored in this election, but I do think the challenge of trying to bring greater Minnesota and the Twin Cities together around some policy reforms and in a critical need for reforms in those areas is going to continue to be the challenge. And and supposedly, again, that's it's one of the areas that that Tim Walls really focused on saying he wanted to be a leader on. And I think that that's where we'll have to see how that comes down. I have a very specific question. Light rail, does it get finished in the Twin Cities? Well, finished is a long way uh, from where we are today. We have two systems, uh, or we have two lines, and I don't think that makes a system, I should say. So I think there will be continued effort to invest in it, but the real question, and this will be funny, I think not just in Minnesota but on a national level, one of the areas I think Dems uh, in Congress, as an example, and Trump probably actually see eye to eye is on, on infrastructure and investments. So, you know, if they can kind of get out of their own way on some of the other places where they're fighting, there should be real opportunity for that investment. That should help uh, light rail. It should also help some of the other areas of, of infrastructure need we have both as a state and nationally. Is healthcare unhappy? I guess it depends on which side you're on. <laughs> yes, exactly. But um, at the state level, I would say um, it's probably status quo. The, the, one, the one place I would say is pharma should be pretty nervous. Um, that would be one place I could, along with infrastructure, as Emmett mentioned, see on a national level and even some, some state level stuff, um, there being a really big push. That's an easy talking point that I think Republicans um, on the national level will want to take away from Democrats. I think they may be willing to uh, sacrifice some of their their donors to uh, to make sure that Democrats don't have that to whack them over the head with in 2020. And it's something that President Trump has talked about numerous times as something that he wants to address. He says that about a lot of things. But I do think it's a it's one place that I would be pretty concerned if I was in the pharmaceutical and, industry. And I think in general across the board for healthcare, it was the number one issue nationally in terms of what impacted voters' decisions. I think 
as Americans, people are tired with not having resolution to this issue, with costs going up, with the mental health access, with all sorts of issues going on. Having Dems in control of the U.S. House of Representatives, I think the effort to repeal the ACA is dead for the next two years. So the real questions then, you know, kind of, I think, fall to states about what are they going to do um, in terms of addressing some of these issues. But it was the number one issue for voters across the country. And I think, you know, ignore that at your own peril if you want to get reelected in two years. And it is, it is worth pointing out several ballot initiatives expanded Medicaid access, excuse me, Medicare access. Five of seven yeah. look to be winning. And again, it just, uh, that's a huge step towards uh, health care for all. Uh, Can I ask the, the really stupid question? Is there any chance now, this is a national question, but it impacts all of these local healthcare companies that we've got working here in the med tech. Is there any chance that we actually fix Obamacare? Because it needs fixing. No? I <laughs> You're shaking I, your head I, I no. think the answer is no. Okay. Um, I, I think that with the, the, the one quote I heard that I think is perfect is that the biggest thing that Republicans didn't like about Obamacare was Obama. And it is still a valuable talking point for them. It's still something they can blame. Dem they can try and shift some of that blame about health care prices to Obamacare. And until that dog stops hunting, I don't think they're going to take any meaningful steps towards fixing it. And for the Democrats on the national level, the way they see fixing it is not an incremental tweak bill. It is Medicare for all. But that, again, I think this is an area where businesses have to get engaged because we cannot continue with the status quo. There, there has to be some way to break through this polarization, you know, and I think that will be interesting is if they do get involved on that front. Um, and because even though Republicans want to continue to repeal Obamacare, from the question around MedTech in Minnesota and, and the innovation that we're doing here, a lot of the advertising in the campaigns were were really mixed, where Republicans thought it worked to their advantage. They were attacking anybody who, who was supporting MedTech, and where they thought it worked for the Republicans, they were saying, we did a great job on helping with MedTech. So I think they were just taking the issue in terms of where they thought they could win. Um, the big takeaway, again, is do something. So quickly because we do need to wrap this part of the conversation. Who should be really happy in business sectors or nonprofits? Uh, as you're watching all this roll in, were you thinking of any sectors where life gets better? Anything off the top of your head? I would say education in the state of Minnesota has a fierce champion, uh, former educator himself. And it's a space where Governor Dayton did a lot of really good work on the early childhood side um, and got, you know, uh, funding increases uh, on the formula. But if, if you're not just the teachers union, but people who care about education reform, um, there are lots of really good opportunities with this mix of a DFL House, a moderate Republican Senate. I think that that's will be an under it's been and will be an underappreciated story that uh, Majority Leader Paul Gazelka is a good deal maker and runs his caucus really, really well with Tim Walls as governor. That could be a really good space in, for education. I think some of the miners are happy up north. You know, they've got um, opportunity to open some more mines and um, for economic development up there. So we'll see how that plays out. I think that's true. And I think any organizations that deal with millennials and, and Gen Z 
I think they were an active participant, very civic-minded and very engaged in this conversation. So if you're a business that works or an organization that's focused on kind of those issues, I think you're going to see that continued engagement. Uh, and education is clearly one of them. And so uh, climate change is another one. I think it's, it's very significant. So those issues, I think, are going to continue to see attention. What I want to do is pivot and bring in two people who should have some pretty interesting insight into old and new guard administrations uh, for the Minnesota governor's office. Kathy Thunheim, whose name is on the door of this firm and, oh yeah, on the name of this podcast. Kathy, you worked in the governor's office for the late, great Wendell Anderson. Long time ago. And in his Senate office, too. Mm -hmm. um, but you also served as an advisor to Governor Mark Dayton. Let me ask you first, just how much do you think a, a Walls administration differs from a Dayton administration when it comes to the critical things that businesses have to navigate? Well, the first thing that goes through my head is it's a very different time in terms of what the governor is walking into. Um, we have to remember Mark Dayton was elected governor at a time when we were coming out of a recession. Uh, that campaign was all about job creation. And so the sense of priority was quite urgently set up um, as they took uh, on that administration, and it's the reason I was asked to play the role that I was. Everything was focused on trying to figure out how to help the economy come back um, and, and get people into work. I think the Walls administration comes into office in a different kind of an environment. Um, what are the top issues? It's health care. It's, yes, it's workforce. It's housing. Uh, and so I think that, that early, the early period of trying to assess how to set priorities um, it will feel different than, than the, the beginning of the Dayton administration. And, and businesses have the opportunity to be uh, important resources, subject matter experts in areas that a new administration is looking to get grounded and looking to figure out um, who they can be working with. You said just before we started this that a new administration is like a sponge. Mm -hmm. And I have, to, I have to say, I would have thought, well, you got to wait for them to get into office and get people appointed. Mm -hmm. You're saying don't wait. They have enormous um, uh, need and capacity to be picking up new information, understanding who's important in various sectors and so on. Uh, and always, yes, there'll be some, they'll have some caution about what people's agendas are, but in these early, early days, this is about helping them understand all that they're inheriting and what are the, what, what's the field of play as they, as they move from campaigning to governing. Kathy's got a good point, Darren. When Dayton came into office, it was all about, oh my God, where are we gonna find jobs for these unemployed people? Talk about how different the times are now and how different this governor is from Mark Dayton. I mean, this governor is uh, coming from greater Minnesota, who's only been an elected official since 2006, compared to Governor Dayton, who is, has decades-long experience being rooted within deep in the roots of the Minnesota DFL party. Very different breeds of politicians they are, um, and it gives them a different lens of how to operate. The other piece that Tim Walls has going for him that Mark Dayton didn't have is that he has an enormous surplus that allows him to trade things. Uh, and it's been clear on the campaign trail that Tim Walls is willing to trade things for give things to Republicans if it means progress in a few key areas, whether that's health care, whether that's housing, or going down the line, uh, this governor seems to be willing to be, be willing to bargain. Kathy, there were times when people, our Republican friends would say, Mark Dayton was the smartest guy in the room. 
because uh, you've been in meetings. I mean, we've all heard the stories. He'd get up and go get a spreadsheet and come back and break this stuff down for everybody. Mm-hmm. Talk about the different personalities of governors. You worked for Wendy, who was this most engaging person in the world. Mark Dayton, not so engaging, more of a quieter guy. Now Tim coming in. I don't even really know his personality. How do you navigate these different personalities with governors, or is it all about the administration and the people that they oh, appoint? They're, just like in any other kind of leadership role, their personality matters a lot. Uh, but it's also shaped by the times that they're in and uh, who else they have to work with in the Capitol. You know, I, I think uh, Mark Dayton uh, was a... was. Um, an executive who was actually, I say the word executive, he was well-suited at the executive branch, way more than a lot of people thought he was uh, when he got elected. Um, and I think he operated effectively as a chief executive. Um, yes, it's absolutely true that in the, in the last couple of years, as the partisanship at the Capitol became really, really pointed, um, I think it was less effective and probably a lot less fun uh, for everybody. But I think, uh, yeah, their personalities matter. I think um, what it's going to be interesting to watch uh, the new governor um, set his style in that uh, in that um, that office. Um, he's got a lot of energy, and as as Darren has said, a willingness to to work in a uh, in a compromising way. I think to try to find ways to move the state forward. I think I, he genuinely intends to make deals. Darren, how different do you think the experience will be with Walls versus Dayton? I think when you look at both men. You see them; they're very different. You know, Governor Dayton is much more of an introvert, um, holds things close to his vest, trusts not a lot of people, trusts his gut instincts. When you look at Tim Walls, who I would argue is always looks like the happy warrior, no matter what photo you ever see him in, he is always beaming with excitement and energy. Uh, very different than the current governor. I think that. The other thing that Tim Walls has is that he puts a lot of, part of it is being a teacher, is putting a lot of emphasis on the people around him and giving them the opportunities to grow and prosper and help them make decisions uh, will be, is another unique piece. You know, lastly, I would say, you know, Tim Walls was in the minority. You know, he was, when he elected to Congress, he spent four years in the majority and then was ushered out in the 2010 uh, Republican uh, tsunami but found a way to get things done. Uh, and I think that's a piece that's missing uh, over the last probably four to six years is that we've had a governor that has a disdain for the legislature. Having someone that's come from the legislative branch, albeit coming from Washington, someone's gonna understand a little bit more about compromising and, get, and the personalities of, of lawmakers and finding ways to build that common ground. So one last question. A good friend of mine who is as Republican as they get shot me a business insider poll. And even he said, hey, these things are skewed, but the poll combined six measures of the labor market and kind of general economic health. And it rated all 50 states and and the District of Columbia. Wisconsin ranked 10th, Minnesota 40th. And a big part of it was wage growth because Minnesota was one of only two states with negative wage growth in 2017. And then GDP was 0.8% lower than the national average. What was the ranking? We're 40th in what? I mean, what? Uh, 40th in this business climate okay. poll. Okay. For Republicans who are despondent this morning that they don't have a Republican governor and they've been unhappy with Mark Dayton, what should they look forward to or at least have a little more positivity about working with Tim Walls 
for a business climate that they feel is challenged? Their words. Well, one, I think they have a governor who understands a lot of different facets of Minnesota's economy, um, whether it's issues up on the range with dealing with mining, uh, who's quite familiar with agriculture and, and uh, agribusiness part of the state. Uh, the new governor uh, has a keen sense of these issues outside of the metro area and how to make these, how to make our state more competitive. Uh, both in the manufacturing, but also forestry, mining, uh, agribusiness down the line. Well, I, would, I wouldn't suggest that Mark Dayton didn't bring all that. I think Mark had a lot of, of that as well. I, I think what I would say, and he was the Economic Development Commissioner of the state of Minnesota earlier in his career, but, but I would say what I, I think the way I would answer the question is, you have a governor who is uh, early in his career, I think less... Um, hardwired to his sense of uh, how he wants to get things done. Uh, as Darren said earlier, somebody who's willing to make deals and sort of bargain. I think Mark, as, by the time he became governor, had some pretty strong feelings about, about um, what was uh, good government and what wasn't, and it was pretty tough to get him to, to compromise. And you think it'll be different with Walls? At least to start. He's, he's at a very different point in his career. Thank you both for doing this. I really appreciate it. Also, our thanks to Emmett Coleman, Emily McGrath, and Owen Truesdell from Team Toonheim. Again, now we recorded this podcast 9 o'clock Wednesday morning. Not all the returns were in, so as you listen in the later hours, please be kind. We're working on somewhat limited information. The Rethinking Podcast is a production of Toonheim, a global strategic communications consulting firm with partner offices in 110 cities across 29 countries. You can find our team and the service offerings at Toonheim.com. Today's podcast was produced by Liz Sheets. Nick Marcouillet is our digital editor. Maddie Renicky manages our social and digital publishing. From the Toonheim Studios in Minneapolis, this is Pat Lyon.